This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. friends and welcome to this episode of the badass ladies club my name is laurie and i'm here with my girl jessica what up and we are excited to be bringing you an episode today about the power of infusing intention into everything that you do but before we go there i've got to express some immense gratitude today for your attention and your time because man like We all have so much to focus our energy and attention on anymore. The fact that you're taking time out of your day to spend it here with us, um, we just means so, so much. It would mean a lot to us if you would like, rate, and review this podcast, share it with your friends if it speaks to you. We appreciate you guys so much. Let's get into this uh, conversation about infusing intention Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so when Laurie and I were talking about ideas, I brought up this thing that um, we learned about quite a few years ago, um, but that I hadn't paid much attention to since then. So I don't know why it popped into my head. It was time. It, I guess so. It yeah. was time. So I don't know if any of you are familiar with The Hidden Messages in Water. Such a good book. It came out in 2005. It was a New York Times bestseller book written by, I'm going to butcher this, y'all, Masaru Emoto. That's what we're going with. Works for me. Sorry. Mr. Emoto. (laughs) Um, And so this is off of um, Google because I feel like this best describes it better than Mm. you and I could do at the moment. Um, It is about advancing the pseudoscientific idea that the molecular structure of water is changed by the presence of human consciousness nearby. Um, Basically. Basically, (laughs) that water structure, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be about water. It could also be about plants and trees and just living organic things Mm -hmm. in the world anyway, but this book specifically was about water, that the actual molecular crystal of water changed its shape Mm -hmm. based on the words and intention spoken to it or the music that it was listening to. Right. Um, That when it was listening to nice, beautiful music and that it was talked to kindly, it was these beautiful, almost like snowflake-like kind of crystal-looking things. And when it was spoken to in an aggressive, um, mean-spirited kind of way that it looked very fractured, broken, um, and just not as pretty. Yeah. I mean, I guess that may be... Subject to whatever you think is pretty, but you know. Well, one of the things I really, so I read this book because I first heard about this book um, 
like at a serious business, you know, oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe closer to 2005 when it came out. I don't know exactly when, but like, I remember when I saw on the screen, you know, like they put up the images of these water crystals and the word that was spoken to it. Right. So there was a water crystal where they said, I love you to it every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like beautiful and snow flake like, and you know, like mesmerizing to look at. And then they show you the picture of the water crystal where they say, I hate you and I wish you would die. And like that crystal was not a crystal at all, you know, like a scattered, disorganized piece of goo basically is, you know, what it looked like. And then the music part was so telling to me because I like lots of music that people might not think is pretty music or nice music, (laughs) you know. But, like, they would show when you play classical music what the crystals look like. And they are very beautiful and organized and, you know, like, aesthetically pleasing. And then there was one that I don't remember exactly what the type of music was, but I think it was, like, death metal was maybe the term that they used. And I'm, like, right on. Like, and you're like, metal, oh, you know? I actually like that. But, but the crystal was not intact, you know, yeah. and, like, shattered all over the place. And I remember that was the first time that, like, I super recognized that, yeah, like, sometimes maybe I do appreciate and enjoy things that aren't maybe good for me. Mm. You know, like, I love metal and I love lots of loud, you know, like, um, some people might call it obnoxious, you know, (laughs) like, style music. Um, Because I like the vibration of what that brings up for me. And well, that it can be cathartic to listen to that kind of stuff in a teen angsty. I'm broken and dark and want to be raging against the machine kind of vibe, which ultimately is probably difficult on my molecular (laughs) level structure. You know, like um, I love this idea because like you were saying, like, even though this book is about water that it's also true of like plants. And you had mentioned when we brought it up that it reminded you of Tate. Yeah. Um, (laughs) My tomato plant. (laughs) Yes. We've talked about Tate before. Um, And that I also have like a, I super love outdoor plants and I'm actually pretty good with outdoor plants, but not great with house plants because I forget about them and they get ignored and they don't get watered and they definitely don't get moved with the sun, you know, or any of that. And they die mm-hmm. because I abandon them. <laughs> um, but outside I'm all about like, Oh, I need to go outside and take care of the garden and water the plants so they'll die, you know? Right. And then I'm so happy to be barefoot outside and taking care of my plants that then I'm loving on my plants and <laughs> giving yeah. them all. And then what do you know? They do better. Yeah. Um, slash there have definitely been times where I have put in a garden and then hit a rocky patch and it may be like in a low vibe place with myself or I'm like kind of in a depressed state or whatever and I don't want to go outside and keep up with those plants and then I see them out there suffering and I kind of have like shame and guilt around the fact that I put them in and now I'm not taking care of them and I think that they're going to die, you know? Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening is like one day I'll perk up and I'll go back outside and I'll maybe show them a little bit of love. And man, they like, they're like, we're back. back. Yeah. (laughs) In such a profound way. Or 
Like this last spring, I found a tomato plant growing underneath a bunch of weeds that never died back through the whole winter. I remember that. It started throwing tomatoes really early (laughs) in the season. And I was like, wow, like you really wanted (laughs) to live, you know, like what we're doing. And then when I got on board with like trying to help it live, speaking kindly to it and loving it, that it probably my happiest tomato plant Mm -hmm. this year, weirdly enough. Um, So yeah, like infusing intention into anything. Right. Going to improve its structure, its vibration. And then definitely if it's something that you're turning around and ingesting is going to improve you too. Yeah. So where I am with all this is that like in our research, as you and I discussed earlier today, before we started recording, in our research, there's a lot of people in... I mean, I don't know if they're scientists or not. There's a lot of people (laughs) on the internet who are debunking the hidden messages in water research hypothesis. Yeah, totally. Um, And that I read both sides. You know, I read like the actual research from hidden messages in water. And, you know, uh, we were obviously both there for, I mean, you did it way earlier than I did, but for the actual, um, you know, when we heard the speaker talk about it, like at tribal forum and stuff. Mm. Um, But I'm like, okay, let's say it is all bullshit. It doesn't change the fact that when you speak love into something, that it changes the vibration and the outcome. Yes. That okay, fine, the water crystal thing, maybe it's total bullshit. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that if speaking love into water, tomato plants, what have you, changes the outcome, imagine what that can do to humans. Yes. And what a simple idea, you know? It's also a idea that shows up in lots of practices. Like praying over food is not a new concept, right? Like all that prayer is before a meal is infusing intention into what it is that you're about to ingest. Thank you. Exactly. None of us like go into a prayer over food and be like, this is stupid. I hate this this meal. Fuck you. (laughs) You know, no one does that. No. Everyone sits there. If you're going to pray over your food, you do it with love and gratitude and appreciation. And man, even if it's something that I don't exactly love eating, it certainly changes the feeling and the vibration of what I'm about to eat. And that it may not be my most favorite thing, but... It's doing my body. It's nourishing my body. It's helping me, you know. And that even when you eat, and this was something that I, I can't remember who taught me this, but like when you eat something that normally doesn't agree with you, Mm -hmm. that praying over it and having the intention that it will nourish your body and treat you well and that you're grateful for it, that it, your body will digest it better, you know, like you can change the molecular components of what it is that is not agreeing with your body. And that a lot of times what's not agreeing 
is the energy that you have as you're about to mm-hmm. ingest it, you know? Um, I also think it's part of why I like cooking is because I am infusing what I'm cooking so often. And again, when I'm in the right headspace, there are definitely times where I'm cooking where I'm like, this is dumb and I don't want to be mm-hmm. doing it, you know? But like that cooking is this alchemy of infusing love into something that you're making for people that then they feel that love and they eat it, you know? And that um, there's so much of that in my family. But also, I say love, like, you think about your grandma cooking for you or your mother cooking for you, and that comes from that. But I also think a lot about um, that my grandfather was a cook in the army. Mm. So he cooked for his for the army, you know, like, and yeah, there's like some manly love stuff going on, but that that is like a responsibility to feed and nourish these soldiers and these troops. And he did that in a war, you know, like, so how important was it that he was infusing the right intention into the only nourishment that some of these people had, like in wartime, where I, you know, wars were long gone by the time he was cooking for me. But he still carried that vibe, you know, even after being out of those circumstances and that it was such a responsibility and an obligation to decide what we were going to eat. And okay, so we're going to decide what we're going to eat. So then I've got to get these ingredients at these different places. And then I've got to decide what time I need to start preparing things Mm -hmm. so they're ready at the right time. And I learned so much about the architecture of what it meant to be intentional with creating menus and food and then even like what to do with leftovers so then you can eat them you know like at a later time and that that is an art that comes with infusing intention into food of course he always prayed over it before we ate it you know Mm -hmm. like that that was also an element of what happened in there so I feel like intention and praying over food is really common but what I love about hidden messages in water is that we don't usually think much about intention or infusing intention into what we drink. Right. And that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about some like really neat ideas. Well, I'm not going to take credit for it. Laurie came up with some really (laughs) neat ideas. I'm sure I stole them. They probably of (laughs) um, You know, creating water bottles with like intention stickers, you know, and that might be something. So if y'all think that's a good idea, we want to hear about it just like a mason jar. Yeah. And you write on a sticker and stick it, you know, like, first of all, there's all kinds of drama about what you drink water out of. Drinking out of plastic is kind of weird, you know, like if it's plastic, it should be BPA free. Um, There's lots of people that will only drink out of glass. Yeah. And I love drinking out of glass. Um, A little risky, you know, like I have a tendency to break glass. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that glass, a lot of light can show through the glass. And if you've ever made like moon water where you stick water in a glass container and set it out underneath the full moon, that moon water is really, really powerful and transformative. And a lot of times we do infuse it with like crystals or prayers or intentions for what it is that we're working with on the moon. Um, I really like drinking out of aluminum water bottles, you know, or stainless steel water bottles. Mm -hmm. um, But that we could... What I was talking about us doing was like a 30-day challenge or something. Yeah. Where we would 
commit to only drinking water that we had infused with some sort of attention intention, whether that be we write something on a sticker and stick it on a water bottle and focus on that every time we take a drink, or whether it's that we, as we fill up our water bottle, that we do pray over it every day, or, you know, like that Mm -hmm. only water that we've infused with some type of specific intention. And I guess in order for us to do this experiment and for it to show some sort of tangible result, we would have to decide what the intention was and keep it consistent every day. Um, that that might be kind of fun. I love that idea. I'm down. Okay, so how do we want to do this? Well, what's your intention going to be for your water for 30 days? Um, Because we could do it in January, you know. Yeah, we could start. Okay. Yeah. Which by the time this episode airs, we'll be in it. We'll be in it. We'll be knee deep. Um, Let's see. We could infuse it with the intention of... um, I mean, do we want to keep it simple, like a word, or do we want a phrase? Like, do we want to infuse it with gratitude or abundance, or do we want like a phrase of abundance through Mm. boundaries and money? (laughs) I mean, I like all of these things. (laughs) How specific do we want to get? I think... Maybe I'm not going to be able to pull it out on the episode, but what I am going to do is I'm going to write like a prayer or something that I'll say when I fill up my bottle every day, you know, and maybe like have a ritual that, because I'm really feeling this like whole operating out of alignment thing. Yeah. That if my intention can be that every decision I make today is operating from alignment, you know, Mm -hmm. like that that feels really grounded and kind of encompasses everything. Yeah. Abundance versus scarcity, sticking to my boundaries, you know, like, so yeah. And then maybe just noticing how much, A, how much more water I might drink, you know, like, because just the quantity of water that we all drink is pretty embarrassing. (laughs) If If you add the coffee and the, you know, all the other elements into it. Um, but yeah, I could pray over my water for 30 days and, or 31 days in January. Yeah. That would be fun. All right. Done. January 1. Let's do this. Um, and that our bodies are made of water. Yes. So God, how much of our bodies, isn't it like a ridiculous amount? It's like 87% yeah. or something like that. I don't know. Let's see. Um, but yeah, like if you can change the molecular water crystal so much by what you say to it, sing to it, you know, what music you play around it, that when people say hurtful things to you, that that is affecting you on a physical level in some really profound ways, which is why it's like verbal abuse, for instance, is not something that you can physically see Mm -hmm. like physical abuse, Mm -hmm. but that actually has just as damaging an effect on you. Physically. Physically. Yeah. Um, So according to NASA.gov, about 70% of the human body is made up of water. And coincidentally, more than 70% of the earth is covered in water. All right. But yeah, um, 
the whole verbal abuse thing that it does goes go to show that words matter and that words can have an effect on our health and physicality for sure. Um, you know, I've heard so much, especially in my growing up years of, um, I don't know, what do people say? It's like, um, actions, you know, actions speak louder than words. Yes. Actions speak louder than words, which I understand like in some circumstances, obviously you don't want to be in a relationship where it's just empty promises and no one ever like rises to the occasion or shows up in the way you need them to, of course. But there is also a side of it that, you know, words do matter. And a lot of people are like, it's just words. It's just words. Like I feel that way about, well, I feel that way about a lot of words that some people don't think are bad, but I don't, I choose not to say. Language is You know what I mean? Like language is really important. Mm -hmm. And I understand like being co- politically correct all the time, like, you know, is hard for some people, you know, um, even hard for me sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I catch myself saying things and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but the way you speak matters. Yes. And um, I think for some people in today's climate, that's really hard to do. Yes. And that your words carry, just like everything else we're talking about, your words carry a frequency. Yeah. They carry a vibration. So sometimes it's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. Mm -hmm. And in my own journey, like, I can make all things sound good with words. But how I say them is relative to how it feels on the receiving end, you know? Mm -hmm. And that it's almost an unconscious thing that we do when we are saying one thing but our vibration is sending a different message, you know, and that so much of that isn't just in what goes out, but in this like internal dialogue that we have with ourselves all the time. Well, because you can't fool the universe. No. The universe knows when you're bullshitting. Yes. So I could speak whatever I want. And yeah, that's great. It feels the vibration. (laughs) But it feels the vibration. And if the vibration and frequency isn't on point, then... Then it doesn't matter what you're saying. It all comes back through. Um, And also that, like, I have not read Brene Brown's new book. Atlas of the Heart. Yeah, but I did. I want to pick it up. Of course, listen to Glennon Doyle's podcast where she interviewed Brene about it. Yeah. And now I'm dying to get a hold of it because so much of what Brene is teaching right now is this idea that language use words are important. And one thing that they talked about in the podcast that I was in love with for a conversation, how when Brene was on Texas Monthly magazine and they called her, what did they call her? Oh my gosh, I'm going to wreck it now because basically they were talking about how men are always considered like thought leaders and you know, have all these like really encouraging names when you write books and that they called her a um, a self-help therapist. Oh, really? Like that when women write educated books based on research and statistics because Brene Brown is a, has a doctorate in, you know, like researching right. topics. And Isn't she a social worker? Yeah, she's yeah. a social scientist. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
the woman's a genius and right. any man in her situation would be called a doctor of science, you know, in right. this way. But that she's a self-help therapist. And she was like, actually, I'm not a therapist. Like, right. therapy <laughs> is nothing about, like, I love therapy, but right. that's just not what I do. And so on the headline of the magazine, they were like, America's favorite self-help therapist, dot, 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 but you shouldn't call her that. And I was like, oh, condescending and shitty, you know, that because that language is important, right? Right. That when women are speaking in an educated space about these things, that they make you a self-guru or a therapist or whatever, you know even when you've told them that's not what you are, that it is, uh, it makes her difficult that she cares that you don't call her a therapist when that would never be the case for a man on the opposite side of that, you know? And Glennon immediately was like, oh, do you know how many times they've called me a self-help guru? Because women are just so emotional and Mm -hmm. unstable that we need self-help, you know? Like instead of it being a thought leader or something that like, evokes respect in the name of what it's called. So yeah, like words are important and not just the words, but the energy behind how people use the words against you or for you has everything to do with how that feels on the receiving end of it. Um, And even when you're Brene freaking Brown or Glennon Doyle, you still get that shit, you know, when it comes to people wanting to use words against you or to undermine or belittle the value that you have to show in what it is that you're doing. Well, and if we're being honest, I don't know any man except for maybe Tony Robbins who is doing the kind of work that Glennon Doyle and Brene Brown do on that level. I mean... Are, do they exist? I'm sure. And that could yeah. be me being in my no, echo chamber dude. because I'm such a Glennon Doyle and Brene Brown fan that that's like what I surround myself with. And I don't really surround myself with I mean, other... Joe Dispenza is magic where this is concerned. However, Joe Dispenza also gets a fair amount of shit for being crazy. And, right. you know, like that it's not, um, it's not unusual for people that are teaching you to be interdependent and self-reliant on your own wisdom and uh, removing all of this external influence from you to be cast as being crazy because that doesn't fit the mold of what society is trying to get you to fit into so you are quiet, complacent, productive, and not causing shit, you know, Mm -hmm. like that going the opposite direction and not needing all of that from the outside world is dangerous, you know? It's also very indicative of this male-female culture, though, where even Joe Dispenza and Tony Robbins have an easier go at this because they are men Mm -hmm. and that when women point out these things that it makes us difficult or... um, Brene talked a lot about being high-maintenance you know, like that she has this uh, trigger where she doesn't want to be high maintenance. So she'll just accept whatever, you know, is coming. And that because being high maintenance is like having that label as a woman is terrible, you know, like that you don't want that. And I was like, isn't it funny? Like how even women who operate at that level and that are making all of that money and that have all of the clout and that are number one on Amazon for, you know, like years on end, 
still have these things where they try not to shine too bright and they try not to be too good at what they do because it's not going to get them any more love. It's actually going to get them more of the opposite of that. And so it's just easier to play small, even though she knows as an example, she can't do that, you know, like, and it's why she's on podcasts like Glennon's and they're talking about this stuff. Um, But that they're dealing with the same things that you and I are at our macro level here, you know? Um, So yeah, like words are so important and how people use words as weapons against one another is really important. Mm -hmm. And then what you do with the words that are brought to you has a lot to do with that as well. And that we devalue what the positive words can do for everything. Mm -hmm. The water, for the food, for each other, you know, for the relationships. Um, We talk a lot about, um, like, just in relationship, how, when was the last time that somebody, like, told you that they appreciated you? And that I, there was a hairdresser that I used to work and talked to her in a long time. Mary, Margaret, I miss you, wherever <laughs> you are. Um, that I worked with Mary back in the day. She was a hairdresser. And, you know, like everybody would always say thank you to their clients when they were done, you know, like, thanks so much for coming in. Da, da, da. And Mary would always say, thanks so much. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and she That's would say a different it to me vibe. too, you know, yeah. like when I would bring her something or do something or touch up her client's makeup. She'd be like, thank you. I appreciate you so much. And it just felt really good, you know? And that was like one of the first times that I realized what our words have and that saying the same thing in a different way just resonates differently. And that, and so I kind of like stole it. And I started saying, I appreciate you. Well, especially people like, um, like waiters and, mm-hmm. you know, like people that are doing a service for me. Like, I want them to know how much I appreciate their efforts, you know, and mm-hmm. what it is that they're doing. And it's so funny because now, all these years later, people will mention it to me. Like, oh, thank you. know, like they just perk up in a lot different way. I used it a lot over the holiday season. Like with anybody, I went out on Christmas Eve and I like bought myself a new shirt and thought about when I was the girl that was working on Christmas and how much that, was a struggle sometimes at the end of a long holiday season and that I still had to like get off work and wrap presents and go to the holiday evening with the family. And then the next day I had like that, I remembered what that felt like and how much it felt good to like, not just go in and shop and talk to the ladies that were working there, but like look them in the eye and have a conversation with them about how their day was going. And commiserate and laugh about the fact that the UPS guy dropped off 14 boxes on Christmas Eve for them to, right. to unpack, like, you know? Thanks, UPS. Um, <laughs> and tell them how much I appreciated the fact that they were at work today so I could come and do this, you know? And that appreciation resonates differently when you're actually connecting with humans. And I could feel that from them differently than all the other transactions that we do with people without even thinking about it, you know? Yeah. It makes a big difference to show that kind of appreciation for people and for them to feel that. Yeah, but it feels better as a consumer too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, and this could just be me. Um, you know, when I was in theater, when I was younger, 
anything a director or a stage manager or a leader of some sort would say to a crew or to actors, Mm -hmm. if they were like, hey, guys, we're coming back in five minutes, you would say, thank you, five. Like, you would have to repeat what that was Mm -hmm. or like, um, and that if you didn't, that that was rude. And, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, did you hear me? I, you know, I'm trying to get a point across or whatever. So it was just infused in me from a really young age to just say thank you. Whenever someone had anything to say to me, especially from a theater and dance perspective, I mean, they could be like, that was terrible. Do it again. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, that, um... That, yeah, as um, a consumer, like from your standpoint, I don't love going places and just like walking out and not thanking the crew or anyone for being there. I can't do that Um, because I'm especially from this place where... um, I think I'm okay to talk about this now, but, um, like at the salon right now, Mm. um, we are severely understaffed and we're going to be closing soon. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're in a situation where we don't have someone at the front desk, we put a sign on the door and we lock the door and the sign in short basically says due to staffing shortages, We're unable to accommodate retail guests right now. But if you have an appointment with us, please knock. We'll come let you in. And anytime I go up to that door, because people are yanking on it because they won't fucking read read the sign. (laughs) um, And I'm like, hi, do you have an appointment with us today? And they're like, no, I just need some shampoo. You know, and then they get all upset when I can't accommodate them or I'm like, hey, can you come back in an hour? We don't have any front desk staff right now, what have you. I've had a couple people be like, well, this is ridiculous. And blah, blah, and that I'm like, you could do a better job. Do you want an application? We have an application available. Yeah. You're looking for a temporary seasonal job. Right. I can get you started. You know that like, treat your retail workers and service people with respect. Or shop online. Or Shop online. Where you don't have to deal with anybody. Guess with what? Your nasty you could go attitude. to www.aveda.com <laughs> and get your freaking shampoo there. there. Yeah. Sorry about it, but you can. And I mean, this is also like a larger concept around. I mean, we did a whole episode on the Great Resignation. Yeah. Manifestation celebration, it was a big part of creating an income and infrastructure in a way that nourishes and feeds you. But I got news like this idea where like the customer is always right and you can shit on the people that you're paying in whatever respect is long gone and dead. Like you have customers have no rights to treat people like garbage. And the reason why nobody is willing to work for assholes anymore is because they realize they don't have to. I sent you the other day. I got an email that Target was hiring at $32 an hour. I was like, sign me up. Excuse me? (laughs) $32 an hour at Target? Like, how? And and we wonder why salons are struggling 
to find front desk support when they're only willing to pay people $11 an hour. Yeah. Like that is to our point, not showing an accurate amount of appreciation for what people do in Mm -hmm. business anymore. There's too many other ways to make money besides showing up and being treated like garbage by the people that you're there to serve. And so those words have power. And what we're living in right now is this space where people begin to see what's possible. Potential is in doing something that actually resonates and feels really good. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that you have to quit doing what you did. You know, like I still... I'm teaching makeup classes. I'm just doing it in a totally different way with a totally different level of appreciation only with people who really value what it is that I'm bringing to the table, you know? So things, you can still do the same thing. You're still going to be doing hair when the salon closes. Yep. Only with people who truly value what you're bringing to the table. Only with people who choose to really respect you and your time and the efforts that you make to show up and make them look and feel great. And that anything outside of that, I don't have time for. Nobody has time for that shit. Mm-hmm. So cut your own hair, <laughs> shop online, pure nasty words and attitude to yourself. And that that's going to put that are living in that space in a whole new process. Yeah. It's their healing journey, you know, right. like that they're going to pull. Yeah. Um, I was just hanging out with a friend of mine yesterday who was in town for the holidays. And y'all, I'm sorry. I could have said this a podcast or two ago. So if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. But I was catching him up on life, my plans for the salon and owning, you know, my own hair business and beauty business and that I was only going to work three days a week. And I kind of talked to him about the pushback that I've received from people who really love and care about me. And, you know, we talked about that. And I do remember saying that a podcast or two ago that um, I was kind of getting pushback in some ways. But I mean, I just flat out said it to him. I said, unless like, if you have anything else to say to me other than Jessica, I'm so excited for you. I know you're going to do great. I do not want to hear it. And he said, I think that's great. You know, and like, not that I was worried about him specifically saying something. I was just like venting and letting it out that, um, you know, your words do matter. And from where I was coming from, I was just telling him like, you know, I'm not stupid. I know what life costs. I've done my research. I understand that working only Thursday through Saturday is weird to some people. And that some people are like, are you sure that's going to work out? And I even had um, someone the other day tell me like, well, Jessica, I just want you to be prepared that opening your own business is really scary and it might be slow for a while. I'm like, If you're a hairstylist and you've been working somewhere for a solid 11 years and you don't have enough clientele to take with you, especially going down three days a week, you're not doing it right. Well, (laughs) I'm going to be just fine. Thank you. But that's the other thing about this, though. It's all a matter of perspective. Because I'm like, people work five days a week. (laughs) What fresh hell is that? You know, like that. (laughs) 
that it is eight hour days. Are you freaking kidding me right now? Like that, that is not my experience anymore. So as weird as some people think you are for talking about only working three days a week, I think they're insane for working five days a week, eight hours a day. Like, and that, that there's not a right way or a wrong way. All of that is important is that it's a way that resonates with you. And what not been resonating for you long time now is working five day weeks. Right. Which is why you're going to do something different that's more in alignment with where you're at right now. And that any time that we shift and do things differently, we're going to have something to say yes. about that. Um, it, one of my favorite like memes that's going around right now is this idea of like sit with women who are successful and winning mm-hmm. and the conversation is different. And ain't that shit true? Like yeah. that I can talk to a dozen people who are not successful in my estimation of what success is, right? And the conversation is, like, sad. And kind of, like, takes me down a notch, you know, and makes me worry. Mm -hmm. And comes from this place of scarcity and fear. And when I'm in those conversations, I feel that too, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, maybe you should be scared, you know? Like, what? But then you hang out with people who are living in my estimation of what success looks like, which are people with lots of freedom, Mm -hmm. lots of time to do what they want to do, lots of money to support all of the things that they want to do, and that are living in this like really aligned place all day, every day. And those people, I don't feel that way around, you know, like that the conversation is so inspiring and that I walk out of it, not afraid, but like, ready to take on the world and that I see possibilities and opportunities everywhere when I'm spending time with these people. You know, like there is no scarcity. There's only abundance there. Right. That is the difference in the energy of the words that we are speaking and the ways that we're choosing to look at things. It's not a right or wrong situation. If that shit's working for you in that scary, fearful, I don't want to change, I don't want to do anything different because something bad might happen world, chill in that. And don't let me know how that works out for you. Like, I don't care, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, what I care about is the space where I'm seeing the unlimited opportunities, you know? And I have this feeling that even if things don't turn out the way that I want them to, cool, they're going to turn out better. You know, like that I'm not, um, that I don't know, you don't know how things are going to turn out at the salon, but you have this deep trust, you know, like this ability to know that no matter what happens, it's for the greater good, you know, of everybody. Well, and that's what my friend and I were talking about is that, you know, I told him, don't be fooled just because I'm only going to be working at the salon three days a week doesn't mean I won't be working the other days. I told him, I oh, was you're like, going to be working. Like. Laurie and I will be together <laughs> probably at least three out of those four other days. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to be working our asses off yes. to make Badass Ladies Club into what we want it to be. And I said, because I have not had the time to put any energy into it that I need to, to take it to the level that I need to be available to make that happen. And he was just, it felt really great that he was so supportive and was like, 
girl, if anything, I'm jealous. <laughs> For real? <laughs> yeah. He was like, you know, he said, what I'm hearing is that you're doubling your income, mm-hmm. working less, and that you have this like baby business with your best friend that unless you take the time to see what you can do with it, you'll never know. And he was like, I think that is so wonderful. And I was like, God damn it. Thank you. I'm glad somebody sees the way I'm looking <laughs> right? at right? Yeah. Well, and that, you know, like to the point of the power of words, it's also why things like mantras are so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea that on healing journeys, so oftentimes we like bump up against these limiting beliefs or these stories that we have that aren't serving where we're going. And so when we evaluate these limiting beliefs, we create a new story or a mantra or a series of words that do support where we're going. And sometimes early on, it feels like a lie, you know, but then the more that you say it and embrace it and then, you know, like shift the energy around it, then you start to realize that it's working and changing the neurochemistry in your brain and allowing you to have a new belief now. And that that shit don't happen overnight, you know, like that I am still like when I open my eyes in the morning, the first thing I think of is there's more than enough money for all of my wants and desires. Mm -hmm. Like that there's always so much money left over at the end of the month. These are things that when I started to say them at night to myself before I went to sleep and then first thing in the morning, it would be the first thing on my brain when I would wake up, that those things didn't sound real to me. Until any time I would have a limiting belief around money or abundance or things that weren't working out for me financially, and I would have that fear creep in, then I would start to notice it. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 because there's always enough money for all my needs and desires. I forgot for a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and then your primary way of looking at the world starts to shift the more you catch yourself falling into the scarcity beliefs or the beliefs that aren't serving you. And so much of that is words. So like, that's why you'll hear coaches to tell you to like, write it down on a post-it note and put it on the dashboard of your car, put it on the mirror when you're getting ready for work in the morning. Um, I write it all over my planner. I have like anywhere I see it, it's to constantly remind myself these words carry power. Mm -hmm. These words carry vibration, which is why things that don't serve you, like the crap where like money doesn't grow on trees or you have to work hard for money. Like that stuff is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Never was true. The only thing that made any of it true was that I put power to those stupid words. And it's crap. Like I think it was Amanda Francis that said like, money is paper. It totally grows on trees. <laughs> like, yes, what I remember ever. what she said. And, that, I, died. and I, was like, I was like, ha! You're right, Amanda Francis. Hell yes, it is. It does grow on trees. But also <laughs> just this idea that like, so many people that are geeked out about money not having the value that it once did because used to back in the day, like money had like coins had actual value by what they were made of. And that that's just not the case anymore, especially now with like digital money and the stock market and cryptocurrency and all this drama. Um, But the truth is it didn't have anything to do with any of that either. Like, yeah, your dollar might not be worth as much as it did. It was 50 years ago. But your focus on the fact that your dollar isn't worth as much is more toxic to your abundance than just 
being cool with the fact that money changes and is always going to change, you know, right. and the value of things will always be variable based on where you go in the world, based on what's going on in the world, and that none of that has to affect my abundance today. We may or may not know someone with very strong beliefs in that. I know several someone with very <laughs> strong beliefs in that. And I would ask those someones, how's that shit working out? Because removing myself from these environments mm -hmm. where all of the focus is on how scarce the money is, right. is allowing me to earn in ways that I was putting a real ceiling on myself before. I had all these rules about how I could earn the money. That you know? winter is coming. Yeah. A financial collapse is coming, which those things may be true. And I choose to believe that I am always going to be taken care of and that I will be massively compensated for the services that I provide. I got news. I worked less and technically made less money in 2021 than I have my entire working life, but lived more abundantly and had more luxury in 2021 than I've ever had. You never life. went without Never went without and stayed at five-star resorts right? several times in 2021 and ran up $700 dinner bills and yes. drank ridiculous bottles of wine and got consistent massages and facials. And get, like, like I said, get your nails done. My lifestyle you, yeah. has never been more luxurious and I've never been more provided for and I've never felt so supported by abundance. But on paper worked less and made less money than I ever have. Yeah. So tell me how that works. Value of the dollar. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. You know, like what matters is the vibration that I'm infusing into my existence and what the lifestyle that I'm expecting to live. And that all of that is being delivered tenfold, but that has everything to do with the intention of the words that I'm speaking and a lot less to do with all of these stupid rules that everybody puts onto it. Man. All right. So we're going to infuse matter. our water. Yes. 30 days in January. We'll yeah. post about this and get it up so you guys can see what kind of difference it's making. Maybe I can drink some more water. Maybe it'll taste different. I don't know. <laughs> um, and if you could use, um, how about this? If this resonates with you at all, share it with a friend. Share this episode with a friend and you guys be like accountability buddies. Yeah. Um, and that might just look like sending loving text messages to each other every now and again to lift one another up or just like reminders to infuse the things that you're ingesting in your body with love and appreciation and gratitude. Maybe it means that you treat your servers and your retail workers with a little more love and compassion, like whatever it means to you, start a movement where you're being really aware of your intention. And see how that kind of stuff changes your life because it's super changing ours. Words matter. They we, carry weight. They carry vibration. Make sure the words you're saying are intentional and beautiful and not filled with grossness. Not on the grossness for sure. <laughs> we love you guys. Have a great day. Bye, Bye guys. guys.